Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast brought to you by our friends at MyBookie. You still got a couple of weeks left to take advantage of our MyBookie promo that they are offering exclusively for listeners of the Glory UGA Podcast right now through the rest of the month of September. All you have to do is use the promo code UGA when you sign up for a new account on MyBookie.ag and they will double your first deposit. So make sure to take advantage of that promotion while you still can. So bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. I'm Tyler, and joining me today for our week four mailbag episode is my co-host Charlie. Charlie, I gotta ask you, I know you made the trip to Columbia this past weekend, and you never shy away from telling us what you think of other SCC towns when you travel for road games, especially towns that you do not particularly like, like, oh, I don't know, Nashville. Honestly, Charlie, do you like any SEC towns that you travel to for road games? I feel like you never have anything positive to say about any of these towns. I like Columbia, South Carolina. Whoa, you do? Columbia, Missouri. See, most people do not like Columbia, South Carolina. That just takes a long time to get to. Um, Are you flying this year? Yes. Yes. I'm too old That's the way to go. I drove the first couple years, and I stopped in Metropolis, Illinois. The middle of nowhere has a nice big Harris Casino right in the middle of nowhere. Um, But that's all they have, and then finish the trip on Friday morning, but um, yeah, I fly now. So you're doing that for the first time this year? Yes, I like... Highly uh, recommend it. I like Lexington. Yep, Lexington's great. I like Knoxville for a weekend. Dude, I guess, okay, I guess I'm wrong. I just always feel like you're bashing on Atlanta, which I guess not for road trips, but for neutral site games. You're always bashing on Nashville. What else do you bash on? I know you didn't like Tuscaloosa when we played there a couple years back. You no. hate Oxford. Most people like Oxford. You don't like Oxford. No, I do not like Oxford. But there are a few like. Okay, I guess I just get stuck in my head. All these ones that you hate, you just constantly bash over and over again. So Columbia, South Carolina, this is an interesting one because most people don't see this as a prime getaway weekend, not a, not a prime road trip. But you seem to have a pretty good time there. So do you want to give us a quick recap of your experience in Columbia this time around? It was a nice weekend. It wasn't, I mean, the walk back from the stadium was hot did you consider taking a shuttle because they have those options i did but then also i don't like standing and waiting in line when i, I know will I say yeah walking. when i came out of the stadium because i walked too but when you come out of the stadium the shuttle line is basically almost all the way from like the entrance of the fairgrounds to the stadium 
And you're just, either way, you're staying there in the heat and you're just getting brutalized by the well, sun. Well, and then you're like shoved up next to people, people you, you don't, don't know. know. And a bunch of South Carolina fans and that's never exciting. Right. Yeah, so that's, that's I, I agree. I think walking is the way to go. I don't want to park down there. I know a lot of people do that. But yeah, I walk as well. It wasn't as hot this time around. I thought it was going to be, as it always is, surface of nice the sun breeze. level hot. It's just there are no trees on that road. What about like inside the stadium? The- I, don't, I don't think it was that hot. No, I mean it was hot because it's it's summer in the southeast or no, there was mid September in the southeast. But yeah, it was. I mean, it was still hot relative to other parts of the world and other parts of the country right now. But it was not what Columbia usually is this time of the year. So that was nice. Uh, The weather was pleasant. I guess pleasant is a relative term, but you know, obviously, when you destroy South Carolina the way that we did, Charlie, that adds another sense of satisfaction there. But yeah, I also I enjoy Columbia, South Carolina. It's not my favorite, but I I'm, I'm with you. I agree that it's it's not near as bad as people want to make it out to be. And I get like we do that to rival towns, like that's just what people do. But you know, it, and it has grown over the years. The Vista area has grown a lot. I stayed at a brand new hotel. Which was, which was nice, and I got some new bars, new restaurants, some cool stuff. I found a new sports bar down there that I thought was pretty cool this past weekend, so I enjoyed that. You know I love me a good sports bar, but I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. Uh, we're back home this week for Kent State. Are you pumped, Charlie? So pumped. So excited, right? That's why we're going to forego the traditional preview episode later this week, and we'll do the we'll do it, we'll talk about Kent State a little bit, because I do have more respect for them than I do Sanford, and they, this is a team that we should at least be aware of, so we'll do a, a small, like, 10-minute preview, and then I have version 2.0 of my SEC power rankings. But today, Charlie, that is not what is on the agenda. We've got questions to answer. We have another awesome batch of questions sent in by all of you incredible listeners out there. So, Charlie, you want to tee it up? Where are we starting today? All right. Well, our big picture question of the week involves us taking a look at the rest of the 2022 schedule. Darren asks, is Tennessee now our obvious toughest game left? How does our 2022 defense stack up against them? And if it's not Tennessee, then who is it? All right, so once again, Charlie, economy of language. You reminded me right before the show, be economical with my language here. So if I get out of hand, just reel me back in. Reel me back in. I'm going to try. I'm working on this. I'm getting better at it, right? A little bit? Sure. I mean, I don't know. Guys, I know you can't see this. It's not a visual medium. But I can always tell when I'm going too long when Charlie's on these episodes just by looking at her face. Charlie uh, here is here in studio with me in the Classic City. And... Uh, how would you describe that face, Charlie? It's not bored. It's almost like disgust. I don't think that's fair. At least impatience. You just repeat yourself sometimes. It's, it's like an oh my God face. Numerous It's times. definitely, you have to admit, it's like an oh my God face. I mean. It is. A little eye roll here and there. Not, not little, big eye roll. Well, I eye roll pretty much at everything. Yeah, you, you tend to be an expert at that. But yeah, so I'm, I'm going to try, Charlie. I don't want the eye roll today. That's a goal. No eye rolls from Charlie today. But uh, all right, so... Is Tennessee the most obvious, toughest game left? Have you had a chance to watch Tennessee this year, Charlie? Did you watch any of that pick game? Or was that the week um, you, were, you no, were like dead? dead? Yeah, so dead. you didn't watch that game. I did watch that game. Tennessee was, uh, I mean, they were fine. They were good. They were good in that game. And I've told you guys all season long, I felt Tennessee was the clear number two, or at least all off season long. I felt Tennessee was the clear number two team in the SEC East this year. In my initial power rankings a couple weeks back after week one, I had them all the way at, num- at number three in the entire league. And uh, we'll see if they stick there at number three after the past couple of weeks. We'll, we'll do that later on this week. But, I mean, well, let's just do it, Charlie. Spoiler alert, yes, I still have Tennessee up there in the top three right now in the SEC Power Rankings. 
And I don't know if that's as much to do with them as it is some of the other teams that were contenders to be in that top three spot, some being somewhat disappointing, like, oh, I don't know, looking at you, Texas A&M. But I think Tennessee's a good football team. They're, like, defensively, we don't, we really don't know if they've improved that much. I mean, they played Pitt, who doesn't have a great offense. Quarterback got hurt in the second half, or got hurt late in the first half, and did not play the entire second half. They still were able to put up enough points to push Tennessee to overtime, and then they played the Little Sisters of the Poor week one and, and week three. So I don't know if you really can tell that much about how much the defense has improved. I just don't think they have any major game changers defensively. But, I mean, a lot of the same players are back. They're at least a year older, a year better, you would, you would expect offensively though I've told you guys this is why I have Tennessee all the way up in the top three of my SEC power rankings right now is because they at least at the very least have an elite unit that offense is elite you have Hinton Hooker quarterback you have a couple not just one Cedric Tillman is is the lead guy he's their alpha receiver but it's not just him you have Jalen Hyatt you have Brew McCoy now as well had actually had some big catches against Pitt a couple weeks back to help them win the win that football game offensively they are dangerous. And you have, obviously, Hinton Hooker is not just a threat in the passing game, but this is a guy that's a threat to take off and, and, hit, and pick up chunks of yards with his legs on any given play. And the way they spread you out offensively with their version, with Josh Heupel's version of the air raid, it's kind of a mix of the air raid and like the old Baylor offense with Art Bryles, where they just they use massive wide receiver splits are almost all the way on the sideline, and they are just trying to maximize space as much as possible. That also helps in the run game because you have to you have to spread your defense out, and there's not as many guys in the box, and you also have to, have to declare defensively what you're doing, and they can they can adjust to that. So offensively, they are very very good. They have a great scheme, and they have really, really talented players offensively. The offensive line is not dominant, but it's better than it was last year. So yes, offensively, they they are that team. But in terms of are they the most difficult game left in our schedule, here's what I'll say about this. And Darren, I know I, I tweeted this back a little bit to you on, on social media, but I will admit, I believe Tennessee is the toughest game left on our regular season schedule, which makes sense if I have them in the top three of my SEC power rings along with Georgia and Alabama, and Alabama is not on our regular season schedule. Well, it would just be logical then that Tennessee, yes, would slot in as the toughest game on our schedule. They are the best team left on our schedule, in my opinion. But does that necessarily mean it's going to be the toughest game? Because that game is at home in the friendly confines of Sanford Stadium. And guys, I don't know if you checked lately, we've been pretty freaking hard to beat inside Sanford Stadium between the hedges here over the past couple of years. Tennessee will challenge us. I mean, they will give us a challenge offensively. But that certainly gives you a boost of confidence, the fact that that game is here in Athens. Kentucky is another team I think is pretty good. Um, you know, I thought six and six coming into the year, but I've been more impressed with them. I mean, I know small sample size, one tough game, and that was against Florida. And they went into into the swamp and, and took Florida out without Chris Rodriguez, which you know there, there's something to be said for that. And you just God, I mean, I I can't let myself forget how good of a coach Mark Stoops is. And that place is gonna be fired up. I've been there many a time for night games. Probably gonna be a night game. Who knows? Maybe be a three thirty game, but by that time of the year, if it is. Late in the game, it'll be at night. That place can get rocking, guys. That can be a tough environment to play in. And the Mississippi State, I know they just lost to LSU. That's a tough place to win on the road at night, which I guess half that game was at night. Okay, that's a tough environment. I think Mississippi State is still a good football team this year. Now, they are not as good as we are. If we play them on a neutral site, we'd beat them by 20 to 30 points. I mean, I'd feel confident saying that. But playing inside, playing in, in Starkville with the Cowbells clanging, in, that could make for an interesting interesting game potentially with just how different they are offensively. Although I think LSU might give us a little a little bit of a blueprint on how to defend them. But yeah, those two games could could be tricky. 
But neither one of those teams, in my opinion, are as good as Tennessee is. I think Tennessee is going to rock Kentucky this year. That game is in Knoxville. They beat Kentucky in Lexington last year. I think Tennessee is better this year. I don't think Kentucky is going to be as good as they were last year. So yeah, I think Tennessee is clearly the rest of the way the best team that we face. And honestly, even though it's at home, I just think they're so much better than Kentucky and Mississippi State this year that I would say, even though it's at home, yeah, let's go ahead and go with it. I'm with you, Darren. I think Tennessee has to be the the toughest game left on our regular season schedule. Okay, well, listen to this stat. Through the first three weeks of the regular season, Georgia has outscored its opponents 130-10. to Wait, 130-10? 130-10. to So, we know we've been blowing teams out, but when you hear that statistic, it's pretty impressive. It's like, wow. Right. Wow. Okay. So with that in mind, Carter wants to know, will UGA have a regular season game within three touchdowns this year? Oh, three I'm touchdowns. Still a pretty big spread. Three like- touchdowns. <laughs> a, a, a single game within three touchdowns? I mean, Charlie, if not, we're the greatest team in the history of college football, right? I mean, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm dead serious. Like, if we beat everybody by three or more touchdowns, then we if, we if we end up winning the national championship, we would have to go down in history as the greatest team, in, at least in modern college football history. Because, I mean, I'm thinking back to some of these other teams recently that I, that I have a lot of respect for and would put up there as, you know, at least over the past two, three decades, the best teams that I've seen. I, 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 look, guys, I've only been around for three decades. I guess I'm in my fourth. Is that right, Charlie? Yeah, I'm in my fourth decade, um, which means I'm not quite 40 yet. Not getting, I'm not there yet. Got a couple of years left. But, um, look, I've been, I guess, watching college football with a very close eye for, I mean, I guess the last two decades. I watched it when I was younger, but obviously not as closely as I do now because I had my own football games that I was playing. But, um, okay, something like LSU in 2019. If I remember correctly, I think they had three regular season games within one score. I think So I think they had Texas, Alabama. I think the Auburn game at home also was a tight game. So that's three games that the 2019 LSU team had, which was maybe the best college football team that I remember I've seen in recent memory. I mean, I know people go back further than me. I get that. But, you know, in, in my, at least in recent memory, I would put, I, I would probably have them at number one. And they had three games at the top of my head that were one score games. And they had another one that was within two touchdowns. Now, um, let me look this up real quick. Yeah. So their average margin of victory that season was, let me do the math real fast. Yeah, 48 to 21. So, yeah, they were blowing teams out by four touchdowns on average. But, and I'm checking myself here. Yep. Three regular season games within one score. And that was, again, probably the best team that I've seen in past decade or two. Then, uh, let's see, the 2018 Clemson team. That's another team I thought was really good. Uh, they went undefeated, right? Yeah, two games within... They had, yeah, they had two games that were within four points. So, within a score. And closer, I mean, I guess it's technically within a score, but almost within a field goal there. The 2011 Alabama team, which I thought was a really good football team, one of Bama's best teams, they lost again. They lost that 9-6 game to LSU. They got revenge for it later on. But those are three of the better teams I can remember in the past decade or so. And uh, yeah, I mean, right now, so you said 130 to to 10, Charlie, right? Yeah. So check my math here. I'm not a math guy. Um, That comes out to what, 43 to 3 on average over the first three games? Yeah. Check me, 43-3. Okay, so yes, we're on pace to outscore teams by an average score of 43-3, to but the schedule's going to pick up. Now, I will give us some some credit here and say, well, two of those three games were against FBS teams. One of them was, was against an SEC team, but there's context there. We've talked about this so far this season. Oregon, I think, is going to be in like a 9-3, 8-14, but that was their first game. Kenny Dillingham, first time calling plays, a lot of new players. Dan Lennings, first time as a head coach. So there's some context there. It was in Atlanta. South Carolina is just not very good. I don't, I mean, they're going to, 
they're going to be hard-pressed to make a bowl game. They should have a lot of injuries there. Now, we still did what we had to do, and like we absolutely destroyed both those teams. We dismantled them. So there's that. But the schedule's going to pick up. Tennessee's going to be on the schedule. We have to go to Starkville. We have to go to Lexington, Florida. I mean, we're far better than Florida, but you know, it's Jacksonville. It's a cocktail party. I mean, they're better than South Carolina. I'll give them that. So the schedule's going to get tougher. And right now, it's hard for me to pick out and point at a game and say, yeah, that's the game that's going to be within you know two scores or within a score. But it's like, if you look at history, this is what history tells us. I'm a, I am a history guy, not a math guy. I'm a history guy. History tells us it's almost inevitable that we will, yes, have a game within three touchdowns. Now, will we have a game within two touchdowns? I mean, I don't know. Like that, that, that might be a more of an interesting question there. But I mean, also history tells us even the best teams have that one game randomly that you don't see coming. That's a closer game than it probably should be within a touchdown. Like LSU back in, in 2019, like they were so much better than that Auburn team, but that Auburn team pushed them. It was a one-score game in Baton Rouge. So those games have a habit of showing up in college football. When you're talking about young guys, you know, 18 to 21, 22-year-olds, and we have a lot of experience offensively. We have a lot of experience defensively, and you just have to think that it's almost inevitable that one of those games is going to happen here or there. I don't know what game. I don't know when it's going to happen, but again, I'm a history guy. That's what history tells us. So um, yeah, Charlie, I mean, three touchdowns, that's a lot of points. 21 points, there's got to be a game, right? There's got to be a game that will be within three touchdowns. Hopefully. And maybe, well, hopefully. I mean, I hope not. I mean, but sometimes it get you know. You want to you want actually to like feel something yeah. when you're watching him, not be like tuned out after halfway through the first quarter. I understand that, but I also there's also something to be said for just beating the hell out of a team and like not having to worry about it. You know, there's that as well. But I mean, again, I'll go back to it. If we have a if we don't have a game within three touchdowns this year, we will be the best team in college football if we end up closing the deal and winning the national championship. I so I just I mean maybe that happens. It'd be incredible, but I just I don't know. That's not what history tells us right now. Short enough for you, Charlie. Economical enough. Getting I didn't get an eye roll. I have not gotten an eye roll yet. So there's well, that. It's still early in the show. Fair enough. Fair enough. But while we have, have a second here, Charlie, let's go ahead and tell all of our listeners out there once again about my bookie. You guys have heard us talking about this for a couple of weeks now. My bookie, yes, they are a new sponsor, but my bookie has been my sports book of choice for years now, guys. And I have tried out literally every single sports book you can out there. And they're all fine, I guess, but my bookie is hands down the one to go with. I, I mean, you've got the easiest deposit options, you've got the quickest, easiest, most painless payouts. You have the best lines that you can work with, the best betting options, whether it's parlays, whether it's props, whether it's future bets, whatever you want, my bookie has that option for you. They have great customer service. I've never really had any issues whatsoever, but their customer service, if you look at all the ratings out there, is top notch among all these sports books. So do yourself a favor, get in on the action while you can. Charlie and I are doing our best to give you winners each and every week on our picks episode. And through three weeks, Charlie, we have to, I mean, look, I, I don't want to brag. Got to pat ourselves on the back a little bit. Like we're, we're having a pretty good start to the season. I did real well last week. You had like a hell of a week. I haven't counted up all the numbers yet, but did you even miss a game? I missed two. You missed two. Two. I'm gonna have to double check you on that, but I feel like that's and one right. One of them was the parlay, I believe. So really, only so one. you missed one against the spread. That's insane, Charlie. So like, guys, we are giving you winners every week, and I want you to be able to put some money in your pocket. And the best way to do that is by signing up with a new MyBookie account. All you have to do is go to MyBookie.ag, sign up for a brand new account, plug in the promo code UGA, and whatever you deposit for that initial deposit, they will instantly double it, and you have that money to play with and use our bets, make your own bets, whatever works. For for you guys and uh, make yourself some money put that college football knowledge to the test this year because you can bet anything anywhere anytime with my bookie
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right. Well, the next five to six questions are about specific players and their performance last week or to this point in the season. First up, Hyde asks, why is Kendall Milton ahead of Dejan Edwards on the running back depth chart? And what should the overall running back rotation be? Charlie, this is like, Jay Rake, I mean, oh no, this is Hyde, right? Hyde asked this question. Y'all trying to get me in trouble, man. You guys are trying to get me in trouble. I'm about to step into some uh, some dangerous waters here because I mean there's a, there's a certain running back that I already got in trouble with over the offseason when a when a listener on social media asked me a question about him and uh, his injury history and I said yes there have been some injuries in the past literally just said I hope the guy can stay healthy and um, yeah there's a certain someone on social media that did not like me even saying something that innocuous so y'all are trying to get me in trouble here but we are a show of the people and if the people want my opinion on this question then uh, I guess I've got to give it. Now, let me start by saying this, and I, I do truly mean this from the bottom of my heart. We are lucky to have all of these running backs on our roster. They are all very good football players. This is a great problem to have. This is not like we're struggling to find a running back that can help us. They can all help us, and they all have helped us, and they all will continue to help us. I think right now, yes, you you got to say that Kenny McIntosh is the number one guy, especially what he's able to do out of the backfield in the passing game with what our offense is doing this year and how we're structuring our, our offense this year. And then I know the question becomes, what do we do with that number two running back? And this is not an uncommon question. I mean, I got something similar to this same question probably 10 plus times within the past couple of days since the South Carolina game. And I had a couple questions even going back to last week. Um, But we've got to address it here. I was trying to put this off because I didn't want to get myself in trouble. But I'm going to be honest with you guys here. I, I see where you're coming from. I think Kendall Milton's a really good football player, and I am rooting for Kendall Milton. We are lucky to have him. He's a great leader on this team, a great young man, and a really talented football player. But he has had some injuries that he's had to deal with um, over the past couple of years, and that's really unfortunate. That's not his fault. This guy works as hard as anybody out there. It's not his fault. But um, he had the hamstring injury in fall camp, and I think that did set him back some. And I don't know if Kendall is completely 100% healthy right now. He just looks like, I don't think hesitant is the right word, but he doesn't look like he's full speed. He doesn't look like he is as explosive as I've seen him be in the past. Um, and like he's a big physical guy, and he does run hard, but he doesn't run violently. At least he hasn't been so far this year. And for a guy that size, 
I think you want to see him run with more violence. Um, like I, I'll give you an example. The guy that comes to mind that's playing right now when I say run violently is Muhammad Ibrahim from Minnesota. If you guys have ever watched this guy play, he, he missed most of last year after, after week one. I think he actually got hurt week one with an Achilles tear. But I've always loved watching this guy play because he plays with absolute reckless abandon. He runs hard, but he also runs violently, like a Marshawn Lynch guy. Let's go back a little deeper, like a Marion Barber type guy who's played for Minnesota, actually, and played for the Dallas Cowboys. And I don't know that Kendall runs, at least right now, if he's running violently. He's got the size. He's got the ability to be that kind of runner. He's just not running like that right now. Um, Dejan Edwards is not as big as Kendall, but I think he runs more violently than Kendall does. I I, I really do. And Now, Kendall is, here's what, Kendall's a big back with awesome feet that doesn't have elite top end speed. But that doesn't mean he's not a good back. He's still a really good back. And to me, honestly, short area quickness, footwork, to me, is more important than top end speed and running back. Um, but Dejan Edwards, I do think, and Curtis and I were talking about this guy in the offseason. We were like, hey, man, just like watch out for this guy. Like He's a guy that's going to get some snaps this year that you haven't really seen much from. I mean, you really haven't seen anything from him outside of like garbage time in the, in the, in the past couple of years. But I liked what I had seen from him, and I actually liked what I saw from him in, in Col- Colquitt County a couple years back. But um, he's a guy that's just worked really hard. You know, he was a late take a couple years back, you know, the whole Zach Evans saga, and we were late on Tank Bigsby because we went after Evans, and it was too late to get back in on him. And so that's how Dejan Edwards got an offer. And uh, he's just come in. He's worked really hard. He's he's a kind of a quiet, introverted guy, but he just does what everyone asks him to do. And um, I, I love the way he runs. I think he's also a really good short area runner. I think he might be the shiftiest of all of our running backs. He's just not as big as the other guys. But I'm happy to see him have some success and get some opportunities to carry the football. And uh, then you've also got... Of course, Branson Robinson, the big five-star freshman coming in this year, who's not seen as many carries. He's, he's kind of like that that fourth guy in the rotation right now that's coming in when the game is already out of hand. But to be quite honest with you, I love what I've seen from this guy. I mean, the skill set is there. I think he's actually probably a, a more talented runner than Kendall Milton is in terms of his, his speed, his quickness, agility, all of those things. But Kendall is just further ahead right now in terms of knowledge of our system and, and pass protection, which is a key part. You cannot play running back at the college level if you cannot protect the passer. You will get a guy murdered. You saw that happen uh, against Texas, Alabama in the Texas game, where Jameer Gibbs was doing a lot of good things for Alabama. Then he got Bryce Young murdered in that game, and he didn't see the field for a long time after that because you cannot let that happen to your quarterback. You, they're just too important. You can't let that happen. So he's got to catch up from, from that standpoint. And I, honestly, I just don't think he has mastered the entire playbook right now. So when he's out there, we don't have access to the entire playbook. We're kind of limited in what we can run. So if he can catch up from a knowledge standpoint and get the coach's trust, especially when it comes to pass pro, then maybe he can start to eat into some of those carries. I don't know if that's going to happen. I, I don't know. But I mean, from a talent standpoint, yeah, I, I, he's he's got the goods. Like he is that, he's that talented physically. But I mean, I think Kenny McIntosh, if you're asking me like, what would be my rotation? I think Kenny McIntosh has got to be number one. And I mean, number two, I, I think it's a situational thing because Dajian can do more of what Kenny does. He's not quite the player Kenny is, but he can do more of those things than I think Kendall can. Although I will give Kendall credit. He showed some, the ability to catch some passes out of the backfield against South Carolina. Had that long catch down the sideline, which, which was really great to see. So he's improved that part of his game as well. He's kind of adding that. But I mean, Kendall fits a role for us for sure. Short yardage, he, just by virtue of how big he is and how powerful he can be, he's the best option in those situations, whether it's the goal line, with short yardage there. We just want to like drive the pile. He's that guy. But I do like what Dajan brings to the table in terms of his ability to make somebody miss in the hole, make somebody miss in space, what he can do out of the backfield. Um, so I don't know. That's a tough question. I I honestly, I'd probably go Dajan number two. But I mean, right now, the thing is that Kendall is a complement to what 
Kenny does for us. Dejan is closer to what Kenny does for us. He's not the compliment, right? He doesn't do things that differently than what than what Kenny McIntosh gives us. So I, I think that's why you probably see Kendall Milton come in as the second guy. It doesn't necessarily mean he's the second best back on the team, but that's the role that he fits. And that's an important role. We need that. And we're lucky to have a guy like Kendall Milton on the roster to be able to help us there. So Charlie, um, did I... Did I step around that duckly enough without getting myself in trouble? I also answering the question objectively. I think you did an okay. I job. tried. I tried. Okay, I'll take it. From All you, right. I'll take it. Well, the next question comes from Jay Rig. He wants to know if we can run between the tackles effectively if we need to, and will this is another up on another the last question. This is what I'm talking about. You got a lot of questions on is this. Is Dejan yeah. uh, working his way into being the second best running back? I mean, yes, I will say right now in terms of if you factor in skill set and knowledge of the offense. And what we can run with him in the game, I would say that Dejan Edwards is our second best running back right now. Yes, um, doesn't necessarily mean he's the second most physically gifted, but you factor it all in. I will, I will go there. I will say that. Yeah, I'm just trying to be objective here. Love all the guys, but that's kind of how I see it right now. I'm with you guys there. But can we run between the tackles effectively if we need to? I think the answer is yes. And I, you have to define what effectively means. Okay, we need operational definitions here. What does effectiveness mean? It's kind of what I was saying. On the recap show earlier this week, also I think I said this last week, we don't have to be dominant running the football. That would be awesome if we were. And I know that as Georgia fans, we are conditioned to seeing that and we're not seeing that right now. But all we need to do is be effective enough to force defenses to react aggressively to our run action because that opens up everything else. And so far through three games, Teams are still defending us like we are the old Georgia offense. When they see run action, it's almost like like we're conditioned to look for it. Other teams, other coaches, they're conditioned. Other players also are conditioned for the same things too. When they see us go run action, they are triggering hard against that run action. That's opening up a lot of things for us in in the passing game. But look, we're gonna we're gonna face some teams that we're gonna have to actually be able to run the football more consistently between the tackles. And I, I will admit, like. A lot of our rush yards, I mean, we have, think back to Saturday, you know, Stetson had a couple rush yards there, had a couple big rushing plays. You had Brock Bowers with that first uh, reverse touchdown. Uh, we had one to Lab McConkey that went for a first down. It's about, what, 12, 13 yards on that play. So they weren't all like between the tackles. So if you're looking for a, a potential flaw in this Georgia team or, or questions for this Georgia team, I think it's fair to say that is, is a question that we still need to answer because we haven't done that with any sort of consistency. And look, we are, you know, we're rushing the ball for about five yards a carry right now, which, hey man, that's really good. That If we can keep that up all year long, that's good. Now what we're not seeing though, I think this is where some of the frustration is, we're not seeing some of those chunk yardage plays in the on the ground you know, between the tackles. And that's some of the things, like go back to like the, the years with Chubb and Sony and DeAndre Swift early in his career, we were seeing more of those chunk plays. And one of the issues with that, I mentioned this before the past couple of weeks, is I don't think, our, I think our offensive line is very good. We're very talented, but we need to do a better job of working up to the second level and actually blocking someone when we get to the second level. There's too many instances where, yeah, our guys work up to the second level, like we'll rub off of a block, but we are just kind of standing there looking around aimlessly and not actually hitting anyone. So we just got to do a better job of number one, working the second level. And then number two, once we work to the second level, actually find someone to hit, at least get in their way, because that's what it's going to take. Because right now, our perimeter blockers are blocking their tails off. They are killing it out there. We just got to do a better job getting the second level in the offensive line. And if we can start to do that, which I think we can, that's something that you can fix pretty quickly. It's not a town issue. It's just, hey, like, get this done. 
Then I think you'll start to see us bite off some more of those chunk plays on the ground. I think you're probably going to see an emphasis. They, guys, like we did run for 200 yards in South Carolina. Now, I know they were the worst rush defense in the league coming into that game, but hey, 200 yards is 200 yards, and I imagine we're going to continue to try to work on that and get that part of our offense on track heading into this Kent State week. Okay, well, on Saturday, Brock Bowers took it upon himself to remind the college football consuming public that he is still very much one of the best players in all of college football. Along those lines, Russell asks, what planet is Brock Bowers from? Not from this one. He runs through tackles, he blocks guys into the stands, he makes people's miss, outruns everyone, high points balls, and has great hands. So do you think he will be in your top 10 UGA player list by the time he is done at UGA? All-time top 10 players in UGA history? Yeah, I think that's what he's asking. All-time. Woo! All-time. All right, so you guys know I'm not an old-timer. Um, that's not a shot at old-timers. I just haven't been around as long. But in, in my Georgia football consciousness over the past two or so decades, 25 years or so, I mean, who are we thinking, Charlie? I mean, David Pollock's got to be up there, Champ Bailey, Heinz Ward, Thomas Davis, um, Jake Fromm. I mean, no. I'm just a, that's, that's, a, that's a throwback, guys. For y'all. Aaron Murray. For those of you who remember, I was the president of the Jake Fromm fan club. I had to throw that in there. Aaron Murray. Um, Justin Fields. No, ha- couldn't. Sorry, couldn't resist it. Had to. Had to. Oh, by the way, did you see the Justin Fields thing with the Chicago Bears? Not surprised Ooh, not, at all. Not, not a good look. Not a good look. Um, didn't love that. Anyway. Um, but yeah, a lot, there's a lot of good players, Charlie. Nick Chubb. Ooh, A.J. Green. Mm, Charlie. Todd Gurley? How can I forget Todd Gurley? Maybe the best player I've seen with my own two eyes. A lot of good players. And this is just like the past 20 years or so. That's like the last decade. But, I mean, I don't know. Top 10 players. You know what, Charlie? There is a chance that Brock Bowers, this is a legitimate chance that Brock Bowers could be a three-time first-team All-American. Can you name the last Georgia player to do that? Three-time first-team All-American. Absolutely not. Come on, Charlie. I never remember things like that. Come on. My brain does not 20, have the capacity. 2002, 2003, 2004. David Pollock. There you go. David Pollock. Good job, Charlie. Um, yeah, so Pollock did that. And I think Pollock's got to be on the list of top 10 all-time Georgia greats, right? He's got to be. And so if Brock does that, if he becomes the most recent player in our program's history to be a three-time first-team All-American, and that is very very much within reach for Brock. I mean, we'll see. We'll see how much he can do to get the ball. But, you know, it's almost like after the first two weeks, we came in the South Carolina game, we were like, look, this guy is incredible. And um, we want to get him the football, number one, because it helps our team. But also, like, we want people to remember how good this guy is. And if he continues to get the ball that way, and I said on the recap show, he's still the guy, I think, if we need a play, like if it's crunch time, and we haven't had crunch time yet this season, but it's coming at some point, if we get to that point and we need to play, he's still the guy that we are going to. Because, I mean, Russell, you said it correctly, man. Like, you didn't miss it. Like, that's a great breakdown. I mean, he blocks guys in the stands. He's He was a willing blocker last year. was a work in progress. This year, he's just killing people. He can make people miss in, open, in the open space. You cannot bring this guy down with one guy in the open field. You simply cannot. Yeah, runs people, high points, balls, great hands, breaks tackles. He's got everything you could possibly want in a tight end. Hell, any player in college football. So, if he can continue on that trend and he becomes a three-time All-American, First-team All-American. I think absolutely you have to have Brock Bowers in your top 10 UGA players of all time. Now, we need to see that, though. I mean, he's like he's trending in that direction, Charlie, but I, let's just see how the career plays out. I hate to like put that on somebody before their career plays out, but let's revisit this in a year and a half. He's a, he's a guy that's three and out. He's done. 
but I'm certainly not closing the door on that. I think he absolutely has a chance to. Um, we'll just see. If, if, if he can win a Mackey Award on top of that, then yeah, I mean, 100%, he has a chance to do that, for sure. I will not close the door on that whatsoever. But let's let's revisit that in about a year and a half. Okay, well, along with Michael Williams, Malachi Starks is a, the true freshman making the biggest impact for the Dogs so far this season. James is taking a step further by asking, will Malachi Starks be the best safety to ever play at UGA? Oh, here we go again with another best ever. Top 10. This is not top 10. Best safety ever? Correct. In Georgia history. Dear God, Charlie, we got a, a, a long list of great safeties. I mean, you go Thomas Davis, who I know played linebacker in the NFL, but he's a safety for us. Greg Blue. Sean Jones. Used to love me some Sean Jones. Jermaine Phillips. Jake Scott. I mean, hey, I'm not an old-timer. I know that name. Jake Scott. Didn't watch him play, but I know the name. So, I mean, Charlie, that's just on the top of my head there. So is he going to be better than all of those guys? I mean, dear God, that's a that is those are high expectations. That's a lot to put on this guy. But I mean, what we've seen from him to this point, being as good as he has been this early in his career, along with his physical profile, what he brings to the table from an athleticism standpoint, it's not out of the question and he's also a guy that everything you hear about him he's just one of those guys kind of like Michael Williams that yes insanely talented but an incredibly hard worker he's got that work ethic he's coachable all those things that you like to hear about your most talented players because that's what equals greatness when you have the talent plus you have those work skills that is when you have a really talented player that becomes a great player and I think Malachi Starks is made of the right stuff so I'm it's kind of like with, with Brock. I'm not going to write him off, but I can't sit here with a straight face right now, Charlie, and say through three games that he's going to be better than Thomas Davis or Sean Jones or Jake Scott. Like I, I just can't go there yet. I'm open to it potentially happening. I'm not going to shut the door. But, I mean, we're talking about some all-time great players, man. I mean, Thomas Davis, too. Come on. I don't know. I don't know. I hope so because that would be incredible for us. But I can't quite go there yet. I just, it's just too small of a sample size. I need to see more. But if you factor in what he's done so far – this early in his career, I don't think it's crazy to at least suggest or ask the question. But I guess here's what I will say. Here's what I will give Malachi Starks. Again, very, very small sample size. But through three games, I would feel a lot more comfortable at least saying this. I think that he can end up being the best cover safety that we've ever had. He's already showing signs of that. I mean, that interception that he had on Saturday against South Carolina to me, was honestly more impressive than what we saw from him in that interception against Oregon. That The play against Oregon was just, yes, he had to be in the right spot. He was there, but he just made an incredible like, physical play. That was just an incredible sh- show of athleticism and physical ability, which is impressive in and of itself, and that's impressive enough. But you kind of knew that's what Malachi Starks had in him coming into this season. I had no questions about his athletic ability. I knew what that guy was made up of physically. What I had questions about was, was he ready to be trusted in the back end in terms of coverage responsibilities, coverage skill sets, all of those things? And that interception against South Carolina was a thing of beauty. That play was pretty clearly, like, I, look, I'm not in the South Carolina offensive meeting rooms, but just from my novice eye, it, it seemed pretty clear to me that play was designed to try to pick on him, try to get a play early in the game to respond to our first touchdown where the crowd was still kind of in it, get back in this game and do so by taking advantage of a, a talented but still very young inexperienced safety. What they did on that play is they had the inline tight end basically run a, a go route up the sideline and then they tried to follow the running back. They did a play fake to the running back and had him kind of follow behind the tight end basically along the same track up the sideline. Starks at the snap had rotated essentially almost down into the box 
and he had man coverage responsibility for that running back. So number one, you would think a true freshman safety would bite on that play action run fake and be a step or two behind the guy that he has in man coverage responsibilities and should be an easy touchdown for South Carolina. At the very least, a big chunk play for them early in the game to get that crowd, to keep the crowd into it and to get them back into that game and try to put a, a score up on the board to match our first score of the game. But no, Starks read that clearly from the get-go. He was in phase the entire time. He was comfortable, confident, poised. He It's almost as if he knew what was coming. He'd seen that on tape. But regardless, he was completely comfortable in that situation. He wasn't panicking, which is something you would see from a lot of young safeties in coverage in that situation. He wasn't chasing the running back down the field, completely lost, panicking. He had his eyes actually turned back towards Spencer Rattler. Rattler should have never thrown the ball, but he did. But Starks, to his credit, was in position and was not lost out there in coverage, which again, from almost all safeties that are that young, third game of their career as a true freshman, you would not expect them to make that play so effortlessly from a mental standpoint. But Starks was there in the right spot, not by accident, because he recognized what was happening. He didn't buy on the play fake. He had man coverage responsibilities on that running back and was with him in phase, had his eyes around the quarterback and made that play. To me, that is more impressive a play for a young, true freshman safety making the second start of his very young career than that crazy highlight wow play interception against Bo Nix in that first game against Oregon. So I don't know if I can go all the way there yet and say right now through three games, he's going to be the best safety in our program's history. It's possible. It's certainly possible. But I think I might be ready to say he's already showing that he has the potential to be the best cover safety that we've ever had in our program. Okay, Ben wants to know what your thoughts are on the young players, specifically the inside linebackers. Oh, man. Look, most of these guys that are playing right now, at least playing meaningful snaps for us, I mean, you mentioned Malachi Starks, you're talking about Michael Williams, a guy like Dylan Bell offensively. These guys are further ahead than I thought they would be at this point. And I, I told you guys, I thought Michael Williams was the guy that was going to be that dude like that brought Bowers type impact for us this year, and with with Malachi Starks being a close second, I picked I picked Michael Williams. I thought he had more of an opportunity to jump in there and play when we missed Trayvon Walker. And lo and behold, he is starting. Although he didn't start against South Carolina, but he was in like the second play. I want to say I think it was just a it was just a, a package deal in uh, in that in that game against South Carolina. But those guys are. I mean, I I I, I did have high expectations, but they are playing at a level and they're playing more consistently than I thought they would. You're not seeing the bust for them the way that I thought that you would. If we're talking about true freshmen here, now if you're talking about young players you want to throw in like redshirt freshmen or sophomores who played a little bit last year but didn't play a ton, guys like Smile Mondin and and Pop Dumas Johnson, like those kind of guys, I mean, Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, those guys are also exceeding my expectations. I had higher expectations for them coming to this year because they had been in the system for a year, but I mean, they're playing better than I even thought they would. And I thought they would play pretty well. So yeah, I mean, those guys are exceeding my expectations. They're further ahead than where I thought they would be. But here's what I love the most about all these guys. Every single one of them. If you watch these games, go back and watch each of these first three games, Oregon, Samford, and then South Carolina, in that order, you will clearly see these guys make mistakes, but learn from those mistakes. And in the very next game, fix those mistakes. Not do the things that hurt us when they made those mistakes in the previous game. 
that is what you love to see. And that speaks to coachability. That speaks to work ethic. That speaks to modesty and the fact that they humble themselves and realize, hey, I got to improve. I've got to get better. And that's what you love to see. That's what our culture is built on, that you are a work in progress. You've got to work. You've got to improve. You've got to get better. You've got to grind all those things. I think all of those players are embodying that and they're improving and getting better each and every week. And that is a scary thought when you consider how dominant that we have been through these first three weeks. Okay, Nick would like to know, is MJ Sherman a bust at this point? Oh, I hate, I mean, this is a fair question because he hasn't made the type of impact that we thought he would. But I I, I don't like to rag on our guys. I really don't. But like the, the word bust, I, I don't love that word. And I get where you're coming from here. He was a highly recruited guy. At one point in his high school career, he was a five-star, got hurt, and then late in uh, his cycle, got dropped to a high four-star. But still a highly recruited guy, highly touted, highly thought of. And he has not had that impact as an outside linebacker, edge rusher that we were hoping that he would. And I think one of the things that hurts MJ, and because I've heard people do this, is the comparison. Because in that cycle, we took MJ Sherman over a guy, um, Charlie, I think you might have heard of him. Um, his name is Will Anderson. Ring yes. a bell? Yeah. Yes. Will Anderson was also from the state of Georgia. Well, Will Anderson actually was from Georgia. Um, MJ is not from Georgia. He's from like the DC area, the DMV area. And, um, we took him and I get like, he was a highly touted guy. I liked his, his film before the injury. He got that injury. And I don't know if he's ever been the same guy. Uh, and he had, he look, he's been, he was behind some really talented players, you know, Nolan Smith coming back this year, obviously has cut into his playing time some, but the fact is he just has had a really hard time finding his way on the field defensively for like meaningful situations. In fact, you just don't really see him in those situations right now. Chash Chambliss, um, who, was not as highly recruited. He was a solid recruit himself, but not nearly as highly recruited as a guy like MJ Sherman is playing ahead of him right now. And Chaz is a guy that works really, really hard to the coaches and Kirby specifically love him. He was raving about him last week in his press conference about how hard he works and how he grinds, those kind of things. And that's not to say that MJ doesn't, but I get where you're coming from because the production has not matched the recruiting profile. And I hate that for kids because it's not their fault they're ranked where they're ranked. Sometimes the industry guys just get it wrong. Sometimes injuries, like it is the case with MJ Sherman. At least I think that has to play a, a little bit of a role. I don't know how much, but at least a little bit of a role. But I mean, yeah, like he hasn't had the impact that we all thought and hoped that he would, but I'll give MJ this. He has not transferred. He has not been a malcontent. He's not been a, a locker room cancer. Um, he's a guy that's embraced his role. He plays a lot of special teams for us, and that is a valuable role for us guys. I mean, I know it might not seem like a sexy role to you guys. You want to see these guys starting and on defense and put up sack numbers. I get all that. I'm sure he wants that too. But our coaches, like if you start on special teams, our coaches consider you a starter. And so from that respect, I got to give MJ Sherman some love there because this guy has embraced that and he plays multiple special teams for us and he plays at a pretty high level for us. And a lot of these guys don't only really play special teams coming to high school because that's seen as like less than. Like that's for the guys who, don't, who aren't good enough to start for you in high school, at least in the minds of a lot of these elite players. But for a guy like MJ to come in and work and humble himself and, and take on those roles that are valuable, I got to give the guy some respect for doing that. But I mean, I see what you're saying. He, he hasn't been the impact pass rusher and... I don't know if he ever will grow into that. And at this point, if he hasn't done it yet, you have to you have to start to question, like, is he ever going to be that guy? And um, yeah, I know that's a fair question. And Charlie, I know that we have a few more questions to get to, but before we do, I want to make sure, before I forget, because I'm an idiot, I forget these things, I want to make sure to give some love to our friends at Alumni Hall, who, let's just call it what it is, guys. It is clearly 
the best option for all your Georgia gear and accessories. I know there's other options out there, but no one does it like Alumni Hall. No one has the customer service like Alumni Hall. No one has the selection. No one has the variety of brands. No one has, you guys hear me say this all the time because I love it and I can't find them anywhere else. No one has the vintage logo collection that I love that's very near and dear to my heart like Alumni Hall. So if you are looking to add to your own collection of Georgia gear and accessories or you're looking to buy for someone else, Alumni Hall is the place to go because it is where the Bulldogs shop. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right. Now, Tyler, I know you're a big fan of Todd Munkin, so you might not like this next question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Because Do we really have to if I'm not going to like it? As you say, we are a show of the people. I guess we are. We are. And the people, specifically Jamie, would like to know, will we lose Todd Munkin after this season? Oh, Charlie. Do you think we are? I mean, if our offense continues on, on the track it's on right now? I mean, I don't think it's possible to know that unless you know him. And that's the thing, right? Is like, He's more advanced. He's not a young coach. He's been around the block. Now, he has been a head coach at Southern Miss. He's been a coordinator in different places. A coordinator at Oklahoma State. He was a coordinator in the NFL. You don't know. Most of these coaches are wired to want to take the next step. Like They're they're ambitious, right? But you don't know at this stage in Tom Munkin's career because this guy is getting paid $2 million a year to call plays for the University of Georgia where you have access to the best players, where you have this incredible talent to live in. You don't have to be the guy that answers to the press, to the media. You don't have to do any of that. You get to hide and just be a mad scientist in your laboratory, which is what Todd Munkin is clearly excelling at. So without knowing him personally, you're right, Charlie. I do think that's a fair thing to say. It's it's just tough to know like what are his goals and aspirations. Now, most of these guys, like I said, are wired to want to take that next step. They have the ambitions to be the head man and call the shots themselves. But hey, I mean, Charlie, if you got paid $2 million to live in Athens, Georgia, and just dial dial up incredible plays and put up points and not to answer the media and just kind of do your thing would you want to leave i would never leave what if you could get a job working at a see, see arizona state herm edwards herm nope. edwards is gone you I'm wouldn't good. go to to was it tempe but i'm not the type for of person five million dollars but i'm not the type of person that needs to be in charge i disagree i think you like to be in charge you're kind of like but a, he is a, in charge of the offense. That's true. Either. There's that. Some $2 people, million. Some people don't need to have the head coach job to be happy. And, and again, his at this stage in his career, does he want the stress, the added stress, and the added responsibility of being the head man? You know? Like I, I don't know. I, I can see a world where he just, he's happy here. And he, I, I can consistently get the best players. It's put, okay to not always want to. It's okay to not always 
climb the ladder even though other people are. Sometimes just be happy with happy. Don't yep. mess with happy, right? I had to learn that lesson in my life and uh, maybe Todd Munkin has learned that in his. I don't know and maybe I am just talking myself in circles trying to talk myself into this, Charlie, but here's what I'll say about Todd Munkin though. You know, last year, crazily, he wasn't really on the radar. Like no one was really talking about him nationally because there's this perception of our offense is like antiquated and not dynamic, which is along for the ride with our defense, which I have refuted for a, a year plus now because our offensive numbers were elite last year. We just didn't run as many plays, which is fine, whatever. Um, but now with what our offense is doing this year and really the way that we're doing is we're actually throwing the ball now, which now we're not perceived as being antiquated. Now his name is all over the place, and he is going to be a hot name. He's going to get a lot of offers, Charlie. Arizona State's going to offer him. He was already mentioned in connection with that job with a bunch of other guys, but he's going to be one of the hot coordinator names on the head coaching market this year on the coaching carousel. I just I hope to God you're right, Charlie, that we're talking ourselves into something that's reality, that he's just happy being where he is and doing what he's doing. He doesn't need that, that extra step. I don't know. I'm, I am concerned, though, Charlie. I'm not going to lie. That concerns me. Okay, we'll keep talking about that one as the yeah, season Yeah, we'll keep tabs on. on that. So late last week, word started to leak out that Gilbert would not be with the team in Columbia, and we also knew that A.D. Mitchell would miss a few weeks. Does he just go weeks. by one name now, Gilbert? Yep, and A.D. Mitchell would miss a few weeks with an ankle injury suffered against Samford. So can you give an update for Gilbert, and also do we have a timeline on getting A.D. back? Stetson for Heisman. Are you like calling him Gilbert because you, you don't want to mess with the you pronunciation know, of the first name? Well, no. It's like I just I, I hear it different I, I every did, time. I, I, Kirby Smart says it different like every other time he says it. You know, a couple of weeks ago he said Arik. And then last week when we asked about it, he's like, Eric. And it's like, I, I don't. I don't understand. I don't know what's happening here. So Gilbert, okay, I can go with it. Um, Gilbert, it's a, it's personal issues. You guys know he was dealing with some mental health issues last year, and that's why he was not with the team last year. Um, I think those he, those are things he was dealing with going back to LSU, and um, it seems like it's kind of cropped up again, and um, I hate it for the young man. I really do. I'm seeing a lot of positive vibes his way, and I don't know what the timeline is going to be there. I don't think anyone knows. I don't think he even knows right now. So um, I think right now we just have to operate on the assumption that he's not going to be with the team for an extended period of time. I hope that's not true, but I think you have to operate under that assumption. And um, it's it just like it's really unfortunate, man. Like nobody wants to deal with those kind of things. If any any of you have ever dealt with those kind of mental health issues, you know how debilitating that can be, and um, just how tough that is to deal with. So I'm just uh, my heart goes out to the young man. I really, really, really hope that um, he can um, get back to some good headspace here in a relatively short amount of time. Just want him to be healthy, number one. So I don't have a timeline there. I don't think anyone has a timeline there. And Kirby essentially said as much in his press conference today. Um, AD, it's a high ankle sprain. It's not as severe as the one that Arian Smith suffered because he does not have to have surgery, which is a really good thing. So what I've heard is three to five weeks, and that's typically in line with a high ankle sprain. I do not anticipate you will see him this week. I don't think you'll see him against Missouri either. Maybe there's an outside shot there depending on how fast he heals. Some guys do heal at different rates, but I think maybe Auburn would probably be the earliest that I would feel confident saying there's a good chance he could play for that game. But I um, mean, it's it's good that you, have, you got by South Carolina and we're able to do to them what we were able to do to them without AD, our top receiver. We've got Kent State coming up this week, who is a respectable MAC team, but it's still a team that we should beat very convincingly. And then you go on the road to Missouri. You don't ever want to overlook anybody, but again, that's another team that we should beat. That should not be an issue, even though it's on the road. And you come back home. You got Auburn. You got Van. You get a bye week, and you go to Florida. And then we get to the meat of our schedule once we hit the the. Uh, the cocktail party following the bye week. So there's some time for him to come back and get healthy. I don't want him to get rushed back because there's no need. We need him back for that stretch run where things really get hot and heavy. But three to five weeks is typically what you hear with AD right now. Okay, well, sticking with the Gilbert theme, all college football asks, um, how much does it hurt 
if Gilbert does not return, and it just came out earlier today that William Poole will not yep. be returning. So how much does it hurt if we have or are missing both of them? I mean, you don't want to lose anybody. You know, you prefer not to lose anybody, but let's just talk, think about who we're talking about here. Arik Gilbert, Eric Gilbert. Gilbert is a highly talented player. We know that. We know what skills that he brings to the table, but this is a guy that wasn't with the team last year, and we were still able to win a national championship. He has been with the team this year, but was playing in mop-up duty and um, was not a, a factor really in the game plan. So I don't really think it hurts us on the field unless we start to get some injuries at tight end. And you just got to knock on wood and hope that doesn't happen. Now, saying that he was our fourth guy. I mean, Oscar Dub was was playing before him. So, I, and look, we also have guys like Brett Seether, Ryan Goaty. We have some guys that can play tight end. Now, are they as athletic and as talented as a guy like Gilbert is when he's healthy and in the right headspace? No, they're not, but they're serviceable. I mean, but when you have the guys that we have in that tight end room, you can weather a loss like that, even to a guy as talented as, as Gilbert is. And William Poole, you know, I really hate how this has turned out for him, but I mean, guys, this is a dude that was on our team back in 2017. So he's this is his sixth year in Athens, and he had never really played much at all in his career coming into the SEC championship game. He plays didn't play great in that game, played much better in the playoffs and the, the Orange Bowl, and they made a huge stop for us in the national championship game on a third down late in that game. And you thought, okay, well, he's going to be the guy at star. He's kind of earned that position. He's, he's paid his dues. He's worked himself into that role. And you got to give the guy credit. He's worked hard. We said all those things about him last year. But then Javon Bullard, in the preseason, especially in fall camp, made a move. And Javon Bullard took that spot. And Javon Bullard is a young guy. Javon Bullard is a, is a second-year player. And so William Poole, if your guy's in his sixth year on campus and you thought you had that spot locked down, you'd finally kind of risen to the top there after all those years, risen to the mountaintop, and you had that position, then now you lose, you have it taken from you there. That's a tough pill to, that's a tough pill to swallow. And then you've got like Tyke, Tyke Smith's back healthy. He plays star. Now he's getting the second team reps ahead of you. So now it's like, where do I even fit in? Do I even, I'm not a part of this team's plans. I've been here for six years. So is it just time for me to stop and just go on, go about my life and move on? And I think that's where he is right now. So I have no ill will towards William Poole. He's been around for a long time, has worked his butt off, has always been a really good teammate, been a great representative of the University of Georgia, and I wish him the absolute best moving forward. But does it hurt us on the field? Just like with Gilbert, barring a crazy spate of injuries, it's not really going to impact us there because we, um, we're just not using him right now at this point, Charlie. That's just the simple fact. Okay, we only have two questions left. Our next one comes from our good friend and longtime listener, Josh. He wants to know what it says about our culture and reputation that teams don't care about losing to us. They just want to score. Josh, what's up, buddy? Love you, man. Um, Josh, great question, my friend. You know, this is... um, I was actually thinking about something along these lines sitting there in Williams-Brice Stadium. And, uh, you know, they scored that late touchdown. And I can, you know, from the stands, you know, you can see him celebrate, but you can't see it up close, right? And then on the, the rewatch, I've had a chance to go back and rewatch the game twice. And you go back and look at that late garbage time touchdown and the way they were kind of celebrating that score. And also when they forced us to kick a field goal, we were up, what, 45 to nothing at that time. We were on, our three yard, on their three-yard line, potentially ready to score another touchdown. And uh, they forced us to kick a field goal. And Clayton White, the defense coordinator, man, like he was pumped up about that. And I guess like, you got to show some sort of emotion there. I mean, that's that's what you should do, I guess. But it's just kind of like also like it's okay, man. Like you, you just got beat. You're you're down forty eight nothing. Okay, so I I think that's what you're talking about here, Josh. Is like teams like they almost know like we're not going to beat Georgia. We're just not going to beat them. So hey, let's celebrate 
any positive thing that happens, let's just go bananas like when we get a first down. Let's lose our minds over it. Let's lose our minds. We score a touchdown down 48 nothing on the last drive of the game as time's almost expiring. Like, let's just go crazy, man. Like, let's just live it up. And uh, I think that's you're exactly right, Josh. That speaks to where we are culturally and reputation-wise. I think what it says more than anything, Josh, is that we have now ascended if we didn't already know it now, if it wasn't announced clearly with our national championship win last year, that we have ascended to truly elite status in college football. We are viewed on that level now. I know we haven't done it for as long as Alabama has done it, but right now, the current state of college football, we are, we're starting to be viewed in those terms. And um, that's been a lifelong dream of mine, Charlie. I'm about to tear up here. It's been a lifelong dream of mine, and, and we are there. I told you guys when, when we hired Kirby Smart, after I kind of got over the heartbreak of Mark Rick having to move on, um, that I felt like we were going to build a dog dynasty here. And it didn't happen right away, but um, I think we might be in the midst of doing that. And um, again, this is everything I ever dreamed of, and I just hope that we can continue to carry this on and we don't trip up somewhere along the way this year and uh, we can just live it up for the next however many years, Charlie. All right. Well, we always like to end these shows with a fun question, which today comes from UGA Fan Forever. Would like to know who's your favorite UGA player ever? 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 Um, favorite? I mean, Charles is easy for me. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on mine. Who's your favorite player of all time? Nick Chubb. God, you stole. It. I knew you were gonna say that. I knew you were gonna steal it. All right. Yeah, it's it's Nick Chubb. Look, I have a lot of I have a I have a lot of favorite players. A lot of guys that I love. I mean, I was a big David Paula guy. I love me some Malcolm Mitchell. I heard Malcolm speak when he was. At UGA, and you guys, some of you probably know his story, but um, you know he was borderline illiterate when he came to Georgia, coming out of Valdosta, and he tells a story about when he was in the grocery store, and I don't, it was a while ago, so I don't remember it like verbatim, but it just kind of stuck out to me. And the story was, you know, he got to to campus, and he goes to Kroger, and he's on his own grocery shopping for the very first time, and he looks at the can, and I can't remember exactly like was he trying to buy, like. I forget exactly what he was trying to buy, but he ends up buying, it's applesauce. There was something to do with apples what he wanted, but it was like applesauce, and he did not want applesauce. And he's like, I couldn't read the label. And that's when I realized, like, some, I, I, gotta, I gotta do something about this. I gotta fix this. And so obviously, famously, he joins the book club and whatnot, but if you've ever had a chance to hear the guy speak, like, you probably know what I'm talking about, but if you haven't, if you get a chance, I mean, take him up on that, because um, he's got quite the story, man. Just a fantastic young man. So once I heard that story, I was always a Malcolm Mitchell fan, but before, after I heard that, like, that was my guy. Loved him. Um, as a kid, I loved Champ Bailey, loved Heinz Ward. I was in high school when, when Mark Rick took over. So, like, you know, the early years of Mark Rick with David Pollock, David Green, uh, Thomas Davis, Greg Blue, all those guys. I mean, those were big time players for me. I love Todd Gurley. I mean, I love Todd Gurley. I mean, recently, obviously, Jordan Davis, Nicobe Dean, those guys have got to be in the picture somewhere. Stetson, how can you not love Stetson Bennett and that story and what this guy has been able to do, help deliver our first national title in over 40 years? Uh, but Nick, I mean, the combination of talent and just the personality, the work ethic, the the persona, the mystique of Nick Chubb, like you can't pass it. I just, I love that guy. And Sony, I love Sony as well. I mean, both those guys coming back the way they did, absolutely love them. Um, and But Nick's, Nick's got to be at the top of the list for me. But there's a lot of good options there. But uh, Chubb, Chubb is my guy. But, uh, all right, Charlie, that's it. That's it for this week. All right, guys, always appreciate it. Don't ever be a stranger. If you have never sent us a question, don't be a stranger. Send them in. The more the merrier. We want to give you guys a voice on this show. That's why we do these mailbag episodes each and every week. So send them on in, and uh, we'll cover them here on the podcast. But thank you guys for being here. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.